Welcome to another Scottish Greens podcast. I'm Lorna Slater. I'm the co-leader of the Scottish Greens. And I'm Tim Rideout, the campaigner for the uh, Scottish currency to be introduced as soon as possible after independence. This podcast is one of our series of podcasts where we're envisioning a positive future for Scotland. So this podcast is Scotland can have its own currency. So I've got an expert, Tim's with me today. He's an expert in currencies. I heard him speak at an event last year and I was very impressed because this wasn't a topic that I knew very much about. So he's here to share with us his expertise on currency. Tim, where do we start with talking about a new currency for an independent Scotland? Well, I think the, you know, the first thing I'd say about it is everyone assumes that this is really very difficult. And I'd say that it's actually very simple. And the evidence for that is that uh, essentially every independent country in the world has successfully introduced its own currency. Uh, I can't really think of anyone that has tried to introduce currency and then given up because it was too difficult. And I mean, people are, are, are righteously worried about things like their pension. What does, what does that mean for pensions if we have our own currency? Um, well, the uh, the main issue for people probably that when they think about pensions would be the UK state pension. And um, I think with the UK state pension, it's very clear. Uh, people who wrote to the UK government, the Department of Work and Pensions in 2014, at the time of the first independence referendum, they got a letter back from the DWP saying that uh, it would make no change to their UK state pension and that the United Kingdom would continue to pay the UK state pension as it does for everyone else uh, who has an entitlement to the pension, regardless of whether they live in the UK, uh, whether they've retired to Spain, or whether they're a Polish plumber who spent 10 years here and has gone back to Poland. Uh, they That's true, I can vouch for that. Pension. My mother worked in Canada, worked in the UK for many years when she was a young teacher, and she lives in Canada now. And she does collect her UK state pension. You're right, so that does work. That isn't a problem. That is interesting. I'd never thought about it quite like that. And of course, it's normal for countries to have their own currency. That's a, a normal thing to do. Yes, and uh, if you don't have your own currency, then I'd say you're not really independent. Well, and we've seen the like the problems that Greece had during its debt crisis when it was dependent, when it couldn't control its currency and couldn't, um, you know, manage its own finances properly. Well, exactly, and uh, uh, that's because uh, it had adopted adopted the euro. Now, the euro is a shared currency, so it's you know it's not. Is not using somebody else's currency. Greece does have some control over it, uh, but uh, effectively, Greece is like a province within uh, the eurozone area. Uh, so, uh, the, you know, a province as part of a country doesn't have the ability to create its own money. Uh, it's dependent on the central authorities to provide that money for it. And that would be, I mean, we talked on the, the last time we had the independence referendum, it was talked about we would use the pound or something going forward if we, you know, if we'd have said yes in 2014. Would that have put us in a similar position? Well, we'd have been in an even worse position because we'd have no control at all over the pound. I mean, Greece at least is part of the eurozone. It has a, you know, it still has the Greek central bank. The Greek central bank has a seat on the board of the European central bank. Uh, it's part of the European payment system and so forth. If, if we were independent but using sterling, and you know, there's nothing to stop Scotland carrying on using sterling, uh, but that is to invite a complete economic disaster, very well, probably fairly quickly after independence, um, because we have no control over sterling. Effectively, you know, the uh, exchange rates, the interest rate, uh, the financial policies, sort of ultimately control over taxation and so forth, is all going to be run from London with us having no say in it. 
um, and the Scottish government would be in a permanent financial crisis because uh, they are going to run a deficit after independence. So I think there's no doubt about that. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And uh, it's necessary to build up the infrastructure of the new country. Uh, but they can't finance a deficit because they don't have control of the currency. So they'd be groveling to the international markets all the time, having to pay whatever interest rate was demanded, trying to source the sterling that would be necessary. And it's also the case that because there's a lot of foreign-owned companies in Scotland and the North Sea oil revenues, uh, a lot of that goes out of Scotland. You know, the Diageo profits from whisky production, for example, Diageo is headquartered in London. Those profits are taken out of Scotland. All of that is a drain of sterling. And if we're not part of the sterling zone anymore and it's not being replaced, then you have a situation where Scotland would be gradually drained of its currency without any easy way of replacing it. That is a recipe for economic disaster. That's a definition of an economic disaster. Yes. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that uh, journalists always try and nail me with, with on the Scottish independence question is, ah, but Scotland will be the most indebted nation in the world um, because we'd, we'd supposedly inherit some of the debt or a good chunk of it, I don't know, that the UK government has incurred through its spending. How, how do we deal with that? Well, this is a very simple question and that uh, uh, Scotland would actually start life on Independence Day as one of the very few countries in the world with no debt. Uh, the uh, the UK national debt, which in the accounting system is really the UK national savings, because it's our premium bonds, you know, our investment in pension funds and so forth. The idea that it's you know some sort of awful debt is rubbish, because it isn't. It's just the accumulated savings of the British people and companies, pension schemes and so forth. Uh, all of that stays with the UK. Um, it's very clear in international law. Uh, the UK has decided, and they announced this in 2014, uh, that they would be the continuing state. You know, when a country or territory breaks up, uh, there are two possibilities. Either all the components are new countries, uh, or one of them can be the continuing state. So when the Soviet Union broke up, for example, then the Russian Federation was the continuing state, and all the other republics, such as Estonia and so on, uh, were uh, new states. In international law, the continuing state keeps the assets. So, for example, the UK would keep the Falkland Islands, the Cayman Islands, uh, the embassies and military bases abroad and all that sort of thing. Um, uh, the IMF um, uh, special drawing rights and so forth. Uh, and uh, it also keeps all the liabilities. So the state pension liability, the civil service pension liability, uh, and the national debt. Um, so, what Scotland, about the assets that it can't get back, like stuff that's been built in Scotland? You know, well, everything. The, the only and... the only exception is that everything that is physically in Scotland is Scotland. Right, but we don't have to negotiate for that. We don't have to no. take on some of the debt to be no, able to possess no, those assets. No, no, that's a simple position in <clears throat> in international law. Now. Uh, the UK is free, you know, if the, if stuff which is movable. So if they have military aircraft in Scotland or submarine or something like that, they can take... <laughs> Trident they, submarines can go. <laughs> they, can, they can take those with them. But anything which is not movable, so office buildings, military bases, you know, physical infrastructure, it stays in Scotland. That's exactly the same as happened when, say, Australia became independent or Nigeria became independent. Uh, they took no debt. They had whatever was in that, in that country and the UK kept everything else.
So why is there such a difference in the story that the journalists tell and that you're telling? That they're saying, oh, we'll be the most indebted country in the world. And you're saying there's no reason to have any debt. No other country who became independent had any debt. Why? These are the opposite. Why, why, so, why so different? Well, because A, they don't understand. And B, they've been fed a story uh, designed to frighten us. Um, and it's just not true. And, you know, they... You could, I mean, it's, if, if the UK wants to share out the debts, then they have to dissolve the UK. <laughs> right, okay. And, so then you know, nobody's the continuing state. No, nobody is a continuing state, and they will never do that, uh, because it means that all the UK's existing treaty obligations and so forth disappear. Uh, the seat on the UN Security Council would be declared vacant and reallocated to somebody else. Uh, and we, you know, we, we are no longer in NATO. We'd have to reapply to join um, and, uh, you know, essentially you're starting from a clean slate and you have to renegotiate everything. Uh, we'd also be, for example, outside, we would no longer be a legitimate nuclear power because uh, uh, we would have to rejoin the UN and sign the non-proliferation treaty uh, in order to do that. And the UK is just never going to agree to that. That is very interesting. So what would our negotiations with the UK actually look like then? What would be up for negotiation? I think they're very simple because um, uh, there is potentially a discussion about the state pension. Um, there might be a negotiation by which Scotland agrees to take over the state pension in return for some sort of lump sum payment or ongoing annual payment uh, from the UK simply because it would be administratively easier to have... Um, uh, you know, all of your state pension paid by one country instead of a bit of it coming from Scotland and a bit of it from the UK. This is really for people who have not yet reached state pension age. Now, if you've contributed 20 years to the UK scheme and then you're going to do another 15 years to the new Scottish scheme, then you'd be getting a bit of the UK pension and a bit of a Scottish pension. Um, so that's one issue. There's a lot of technical issues about the transfer of the tax records and the benefit records and so forth to the new Scottish benefit system, the new Scottish, uh, well, um, you know, the Tax Scotland service, so forth. Um, but otherwise, I don't think there's very much to negotiate because we don't want, you know, the attic floor of the embassy in Washington. We're not interested in 8% of the, uh, the Bank of England's uh, foreign reserves, uh, which are pretty small anyway. Um, and, um, you know, we don't want a third of a Trident submarine. So, you know, what, what, what are you going to negotiate? So what I'm hearing from you is that this is actually quite a well-trodden path. Other countries have done this. There is international law that covers this. This is not new. It's not scary. It's not weird. It's been done before. Well, Britain itself has done it 60 times with... Uh, you know, 60? With uh, countries in the empire which have left. When, when, when Britain decided it was going to grant independence to Nigeria, it didn't take very much negotiation. They just told the Nigerians they were becoming independent in a year's time. And it was really down to which royal was going to turn up to um, lower the flag and um, so on. So I don't, you know, I don't see it's very difficult. So uh, the bit about your talk that I saw last year that really impressed me and really drove home to me how straightforward this actually is, was you, you talked us through step by step what would happen the morning after we voted yes and on the pathway to being a fully independent Scotland, what the steps are on that pathway with respect to currency. Can you take us through that, please? Uh, yes, I can. So. Uh, um... I've, I've updated things because I've agreed that or conceded that we're not going to have an independence referendum in 2020. 
Uh, so I'm predicting Thursday, the 9th of September, 2021. And, um, Excellent. Douglas Ross is um, uh, going to have to be extricated from the broom cupboard in uh, Pacific Key at about half past ten in the evening uh, when he's locked himself in because they're trying to get him to uh, face up to the exit poll saying that 64% of people have voted for independence. Uh, Excellent. But uh, the following week, well, a... Westminster would uh, concede that Scotland was going to become independent. They would uh, repeal the uh, reserved powers uh, in the uh, Scotland Act, so basically the appendix would be deleted. Uh, and I would also add Scotland to the Statute of Westminster 1931, uh, which basically was the means by which Australia, South Africa, etc. became self-governing. Um, and it just says that the Imperial Parliament, so Westminster, uh, will no longer pass legislation which we don't agree with. They were not independent, but you know Westminster will still be doing the budget, but if we don't like what they have in the budget, then we can veto it. And Holyrood would have full power to start setting up the Ministry of Defence, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and most importantly, the Scottish Reserve Bank as the new central bank for Scotland. Uh, so 4th of October 2021, the Scottish uh, Reserve Bank Establishment Bill starts at stage one at Holyrood. It's going to take around probably six months uh, at least to get the central bank legislation through the Hollywood Parliament. You could then probably estimate middle of um, 2022, uh, the Scottish Reserve Bank Act receives royal assent. And at this stage, it's still going to be royal assent because we're still part of the UK. So uh, Mrs. Windsor will sign the bill into law. And um, I've already identified the premises for the, royal, for the central bank, uh, which is the old Royal High School in Edinburgh. Uh, which uh, is a suitable sort of Greek temple type uh, building. It looks down, down on Holyrood so that the central bank can uh, express its displeasure if the politicians spend too much money. Um, and uh, the best thing about it is it already belongs to Edinburgh City Council, so it's not even going to cost anything uh, to have to buy the building or build it. It would need a bit of adaptation, but uh, it's already there. And... Uh, when the Scottish Broadcasting Corporation decides to interview the governor of the central bank, they'll be able to stand on the steps with the nice Greek pillars uh, in the back. Suitably grand. Yes. Now, I'm not going to have any nonsense about an independent central bank. Uh, so from the outset, the central bank will be under full democratic control. Uh, this is not strange. This is the position we had until 1998, when Gordon Brown, for some strange reason, decided to pretend that the Bank of England was now independent. Uh, it isn't. Never has. Well, it certainly hasn't been since it was nationalised in 1946. It shouldn't be independent because uh, the central bank is one of the key components of government. And the idea that you hand over running your economy to a bunch of bankers uh, because you don't want the politicians to do it uh, is really very silly. And it, that, that's a right-wing you know, effort to undermine politicians and shrink the state and persuade everyone that the private sector has to do everything uh, and not the state. Uh, so we make sure that the, the central bank is answerable to parliament and that parliament sets what its priorities should be. And I would put full employment as the first objective uh, of the central bank. That is actually the position of the US Federal Reserve in the United States. So you know, full employment is not a strange objective to put on a central bank. Uh, in the UK, all the Bank of England is supposed to worry about is inflation, keeping it at 2%. I would say that reflects the UK's priorities, which is really that they want to preserve the money of those who have lots of it, and everything else is unimportant. I would agree with that. 
So we then move on to mid-2023, and you know, what I would say is that uh, you know, once we vote for independence, and assuming there's a two-year transition period, uh, then uh, for most of that transition period, the, the man in the street, the woman in the street, is not really going to have to do anything. There will be lots of paddling under the water as uh, uh, the central bank is set up, as the new banknotes get printed and designed, um, as the new payment system is set up for Scottish pounds. Uh, but that doesn't affect the normal person. They just carry on as they were. Everything's still sterling. Um, uh, you know, and you're, you're using the same notes and coins and odd payment cards and all the rest of it uh, as at the moment. But sometime towards the middle of 2023, uh, you will start to get letters from your bank asking if you would like to have a Scottish currency account. And it's important to stress, in fact, it's absolutely vital to stress to people that... Uh, uh, moving your money into the Scottish pound is voluntary, um, so you do not have to do it. Uh, I think a lot of people are under sort of some sort of idea that, um, especially unionists, that uh, uh, there's some sort of element of compulsion in this, and that you're going to sort of switch on the television one morning to discover that all your sterling was confiscated at midnight the night before and replaced with the Scottish pound. That is not the case. You know, if Ruth Davidson can keep her three hundred pound a week or whatever it is she gets from the place down south in, a, in day. A, a day a day well she can keep it in sterling she can stuff her mattress full of 20 pound notes uh, if that's what she wants to do and the reason for that is very simple if you make it compulsory and you imagine that there's a room full of people and you know half are in favor of independence and the other half are not uh, then uh, it's compulsory so the independent supporters are overjoyed, they've now got their new Scottish pounds, and they're very happy. The other half of the room, who have died in the world unionists, are now extremely unhappy because somebody has taken all their sterling away and given them something they don't want, and they're going to be straight down to the post office or the Bureau de Change to sell it and get rid of it, and go back to the sterling which they wanted to have. So if you make it compulsory, all you do is guarantee that your new currency crashes on the foreign exchange market mm. uh, on the first day. Uh, so you don't do that. It's voluntary. Anyone who wants to stay with sterling can keep it uh, and carry on using it you know, without uh, any uh, issue. But if you do want uh, the Scottish currency, then you just tell your bank that you would like to have a new Scottish pound account. Uh, I think a lot of businesses, they will keep their sterling account and they'll have a new Scottish pound account. Um, we work with a Canadian company and uh, they simply have two accounts. So when they have a U.S. customer on the phone, they can pay in U.S. dollars. They have a U.S. dollar credit card machine. And when they get a Canadian customer, they pay in Canadian dollars and they have a Canadian dollar credit card machine. It's really I not, can confirm that is how Canada works. Really U.S. Not, currency is, yeah. is accepted almost as readily as Canadian currency. It's really not very difficult. So that deals with all these people who say, oh, you're going to have, you know, you're cutting off your largest market and sort of so forth. We're not. So we will get... Um, uh, We'll have probably, I would like to have a national competition to design the new banknotes. Um, and uh, whoever win, is the winning design, we'd get somebody like De La Rue to manufacture them. Uh, I don't know, are you, are you eagerly awaiting your sort of semi-black or maybe blue uh, British passport? No, one? I'm heartbroken, but my EU one will last a little bit longer. I'm hoping it'll last long enough. <laughs> because when Boris gets his new uh, black passport... Uh, he's going to find in little gold letters on the back, it says manufactured in the European Union, because they're all being manufactured. That's hilarious. In, they're being manufactured in Poland. Um, 
If we use Delarue, their main banknote printing works are in Malta. But uh, anyway, so I have uh, the 30th of November 2023 as Independence Day. I decided to go for St Andrew's Day because I thought that would be a nice day to have you know, going forward as the annual celebration of independence. Mrs Windsor, to give her correct titles for the very first time, Elizabeth 1 and 2, uh, turns up at Edinburgh Castle, complete with her Zimmer frame, uh, in order to uh, lower the Union flag for the last time at midnight as the world's largest fireworks display uh, crashes out in the background. Now, some people say that we should have the new currency from day one, uh, but I don't think that I'm not going to go for that. I don't think that's a very good idea. The 1st of December, everyone's going to be in bed until about 8 o'clock in the evening with a nasty hangover. Uh, so that is not a good day for introducing a currency. So I would suggest we leave the new currency for about two months after Independence Day. So I'm going to make it uh, the last weekend in January as what I call Currency Day. So <clears throat> in December 2023, the banks will start posting out to you your new debit card, credit card, your pay-in book, checkbook, whatever else you've asked for. And just at the moment when your credit card or debit card is about to expire, maybe six months in advance, not six months, six weeks in advance, uh, they, they send you a new one. And it has a start date on it, so you need to wait for the start date. And it'll be exactly the same with the new Scottish pound. You'll get your debit card, but it won't work when you get it. You have to wait for the official start of the currency. The middle of January, as with the euro, about two weeks before the new currency comes in, uh, you'll be able to get a starter pack for the banknotes and coins. So you have to buy these, uh, but you'll be able to go to a bank or a post office and you'll be able to get a pack, which like a souvenir pack, which has one of each. Uh, and uh, then you can see what they're like. You know, if, you, if you're a blind person, for example, you'll be able to sort of feel the notes and get used to the different sizes and textures, uh, the sizes of the coins, all that sort of thing just so that nobody's taken by surprise and uh, you know, they know exactly what's coming. And then we get to the weekend of the 27th and 28th of January 2024, which is when the, uh, the changeover happens. Now, again, uh, it's not that the, mem the, man you know, the member of the public has to do anything very much, uh, but other people, the banks and so forth, are going to be quite busy uh, because over the course of that weekend, uh, they will go round and the cash machines will be emptied of sterling and will be replaced with Scottish pounds. Um, anything that issues change will be changed over to Scottish pounds. Um, things like station ticket machines, car park, um, you know, parking meters, they're all going to be converted uh, to using the Scottish pound. And once they're converted, they're not going to accept sterling anymore. Behind the scenes, for those people who've asked for it, uh, if, they, if you have said that uh, you would like £500 of your money to be converted into Scottish pounds, then your commercial bank will take that £500, they will sell it to the Scottish Reserve Bank who will issue £500 Scottish, and that £500 Scottish will go into your new Scottish pound account. So your sterling account would go down by £500, and your new Scottish pound account would go up by £500. So initially they would have a one-to-one -one relationship? Yes, it'll be one-to-one. Um, and they will stay one-to-one -one for a short time after uh, this point. If you didn't do anything, now if, you, if you ignored all the bank's letters and you never said anything at all, the default position is that you stay with everything in sterling and nothing changes. So you don't get any new cards, you don't get a new bank account, all your, all your existing bank accounts and things will just stay as they are and everything stays in sterling. So that's your default. Anyone who wants the Scottish pound 
has to take an action. They have to ask for it. So by the Monday the 29th of January, everything goes live and uh, your debit card will now start working. You'll be able to access your new Scottish Pound online banking and be able to start making and receiving Scottish Pound payments. Um, you can go into the shop or whatever and buy your morning paper and use a, a Scottish uh, £10 note. So it's now live. But you can equally carry on using your sterling. Uh, so if you have um, you know, one of the uh, Bank of England £10 note, you can still spend that in the shop. When you go into the restaurant in the evening, you can use uh, sterling or you can use Scottish pounds or you can use a mixture of the two. Uh, it doesn't at this point matter. But what will happen is that uh, uh, on the Monday night when the shopkeeper takes his takings along to the bank and pays it in, uh, the bank will go through that cash and anything which is sterling they will fish out and sell it to the Scottish Reserve Bank. And when the shopkeeper picks up the float the next morning, on the Tuesday, it will only be Scottish pounds and Scottish coins. Uh, they will not get any sterling. So you will find exactly as happened when the euro came in, and I was in Germany when it did. Uh, in Germany, the Deutschmark had essentially disappeared within a week. And the same thing is going to happen with the sterling notes and coins in Scotland. They will disappear very quickly. Not apart from Ruth Davidson, of course, who's going to have her mattress full uh, of her £20 notes, so she can carry on using those. Uh, for the time being. Now, I'm not fixed about how long it should be, but uh, I would say roughly maybe a month, month and a half, we would keep the new Scottish pound pegged at the one-to-one -one exchange rate against sterling, but that, that will end at some point. So let's say Monday the 4th of March, the peg ends. That means that foreign exchange trading in the Scottish pound starts. Um, and more importantly for um, people, um, the bank will start charging you a foreign exchange fee when you convert sterling into Scottish pounds or Scottish pounds into sterling. So you can still carry on using your debit card, for example. So you know, on the, on the uh, 4th of March, if you go into the shop and you pay for your morning groceries and paper uh, using a sterling card, that's fine. But when you look at the bank statement, uh, you'll see that it now says you know, um, X amount of Scottish pounds yeah. converted into sterling at such and such a rate, plus two and a half percent for the bank director's Christmas bonus fund. Mm. Um, and, you know, so it's going to start getting a little bit expensive and a little bit inconvenient to keep using sterling. And as the exchange rate diverges, uh, you may find that the shopkeeper says that, sorry, I don't actually want sterling. Haven't you got some Scottish pounds mm. you know, if you're trying to use cash? Um, but that's a, that's entirely up to the you know the the shop or the restaurant or whatever if they if they want to accept sterling then they they can do just as you can go into Jenner's and you can pay in US dollars uh, if you want you know they'll work it out uh, what the conversion is. Probably. Well, that's really interesting. So um, I mean, so something I I like to read books on the economy on economics and stuff just for my own interest. And to me, the defining feature of a of a currency of a country's own currency is that that's what you pay your taxes in. Um, so sort of by definition, you must pay your taxes in the currency of the country in which you are being taxed. And that, in a sense, will at some point force you to at least pay your taxes in, in Scott pounds, even if you just convert them at the last minute before you pay them. Yes, well, absolutely. So uh, as of that Monday, the 29th of January, currency day, then the Scottish government will no longer accept sterling for any payments. And the Scottish government will no longer pay out sterling for anything either. So if you're a civil servant or you work for the NHS or you work for the local council, 
when you get your paycheck at the end of February, it will be Scottish pounds. You're not going to have a choice and, about that. And do we think Scott Pound will be the name of the currency? Um, I'm not fussed about uh, what the name should be. I, I call it the Scottish pound for simplicity. Um, you could make a case, for example, for saying it should be the Merck, the M-E-R-K, which was the old Scottish silver coin. And oh, the that's Merck is, The Merck was the same derivation as the German mark. Um, ah. uh, so, you know, but, you know, if you wanted, you could have a, a national vote on what should be the ne- name of the new currency. Well, we tried that in Canada and we ended up with Looney. <laughs> and then Toonie. <laughs> well, so it I've was just coins, though. <laughs> it was only, only Canadians would come up with something that both silly well, and practical at the same time. <laughs> I, I say Scottish pound, or if you want the Gaelic, it would be Punt Albanach. Excellent, good. So, uh, last week in Bella Caledonia, there was a headline saying, the currency question is the biggest question. So what, what is your conclusion on the currency question? Well, it is, it is a, a, a big issue because it's, you know, it's, it's extremely important that uh, it be got right. And uh, if we sort of stuck with the Growth Commission plan to mess about with sterling for t- maybe 10 or 15 years... That would be a complete catastrophe, and it wouldn't last very long at all, um, because uh, you know we'd no sooner be independent, there'd be some sort of fiscal crisis, and we'd have to have an emergency introduction of a currency without having properly planned for it. Um, so we do need to get it absolutely right, and assuming that we do get it right, then uh, all sorts of problems that um, uh, Nicola Sturgeon and uh, people like Andrew Wilson or whatever see as being issues actually disappear. You know, for example, the, the, the perennial issue about the Scottish government's deficit. You know, people always go on about jurors and uh, when Scotland becomes independent, we're going to have a huge deficit. Now, they do two things there. They're, firstly, they always talk about Scotland when they don't actually mean Scotland. They mean the Scottish government. And there is a slight difference between the Scottish government and Scotland as a country. So Scotland as a country, you would be looking at the balance of payments. So that's your imports and your exports. Uh, and the best estimates that exist at the moment, they are in the estimates, uh, are that Scotland does not have a deficit as a country. We, are export, we, we export proportionately a lot more than the rest of the UK. Something like 60% of the UK's food and drink exports come from Scotland, for example, whereas you know, on a population share it would be 8%. So our imports and exports are in balance. That means Scotland as a country can always pay its way in the world. Now, if we want a BMW, we can have it. Because it's covered by no, sale. you can't. It's <laughs> climate change means no BMWs. Well, we can have an electric one, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it importing it is covered by our exports of whiskey, salmon, um, you know, and all the other things that we export. As a country, we pay our way in the world, which means that when we become independent, we do not need any borrowing, etc., from foreigners. It's entirely unnecessary. So the, uh, the thing which people tend to focus on is the Scottish government and whether the Scottish government should have a deficit or not. And it is normal for countries to have a deficit. And uh, the Scottish government will have a deficit after independence. It might be quite a large deficit. I predict it could be in the 8 to 10% of GDP range for the first few years of independence. And that's because we have to build the Ministry of Defence. We have to build the... Ministry of Finance. We have to, you know, set up the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. There's going to be fifty thousand new civil servants. I do decentralise everything, 
So I would, for example, put the Ministry of Agriculture in Dumfries. I'd put the Coast Guard headquarters in Stornoway. The Department of Fisheries is going to be in Lowick. You know, the Ministry of Energy can be in Aberdeen. You know, maybe the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, you can put that in uh, Perth. Uh, Sterling, you know, yeah. <laughs> business, business and enterprise, you put that in Glasgow. You know, uh, welfare Fantastic. and pensions, put it in Dundee. You know, so we're not going to repeat the mistakes of London of centralising everything in Edinburgh. The only things I would put in Edinburgh would be the Central Bank and the Ministry of Finance. Everything else, somewhere else. But it will cost money. And it's not a bad thing, because if the Scottish government is spending £10 billion a year as a deficit, uh, setting that stuff up, that is £10 billion worth of wages, contracts, um, you know, it's construction contracts, uh, it's contracts for IT systems, it's furniture and computer equipment, Catering straight in, back in into the, the Scottish office, economy. Whatever. So, uh, and half of it goes straight back to the government in extra tax revenues anyway. So that's a good thing. It guarantees that there'll probably be a 10-year boom after independence, just because of all this sort of spending. And I haven't mentioned the Green New Deal, which you'll be uh, keen on, because uh, they should probably be spending $10 billion a year on the Green New Deal. Uh, Definitely. Well. I will. Um, I'm building back from COVID. Financing that deficit is not a problem at all, because... Um, we don't need uh, foreigners to finance it. And in fact, foreigners can't finance it because they don't have any Scottish pounds. The only mm. people who have Scottish pounds are people in Scotland who've asked for them. So our companies, our pension schemes, you know, us buying new Scottish premium bonds or whatever it is. So we would be financing our own deficit. It's simply our savings. So you know, when we've got a bit of money left over and we put it into a, uh, a government bond, it's our savings financing the Scottish government's deficit, but it's not a bad thing. And as I say, it's a, you know, even if, this, if foreigners wanted to lend us money, we don't need euros, we don't need dollars, we don't need sterling. They're all the wrong currency, and the foreign market doesn't have any Scottish pounds, so it has nothing to offer us. Not right away. No. So Brilliant. You know, the, the international credit rating for Scotland is irrelevant. Uh, the interest rate that the London money market might think it's entitled to is irrelevant. Uh, and we only really need to worry about uh, ourselves. And equally, part of what the Scottish government will spend will simply be an overdraft at the central bank, because uh, people will not convert all of their sterling into the Scottish pound to start with. They'll be canny. Now, we're all cautious. We'll convert a bit and wait and see how it goes. And I reckon maybe 40% of our sterling will be converted at the start. That leaves 60%, which stays sterling, and once we all see that the Scottish pound is working properly and it's starting to go up against sterling, then everyone over the next year or two will start moving the rest of their sterling into the Scottish pound. That guarantees there's a demand for the Scottish pound, and it means that we have to keep issuing more Scottish pounds, otherwise there won't be enough. And one way that you can do that is that the Scottish government simply doesn't finance its deficit. It doesn't sell bonds, it just spends the money and runs an overdraft at the central bank. And that creates the new currency. And at the same time as creating the new currency, it's actually doing something useful because it's paying for our new infrastructure. It's paying for an improved state pension uh, and all the rest of it. You know, if you don't do it that way, the alternative is you have to do what the Swiss do. And every time the Swiss franc goes up a bit because people are trying to move their savings into Switzerland, the Swiss central bank sells Swiss francs into the foreign exchange market and it ends up with more foreign exchange reserves. And you know, all the time, the Swiss are creating Swiss francs, accumulating more and more foreign currency reserves, which are completely useless. And it just builds up 
you know, billions and billions of reserves you can't use, uh, and it does absolutely nothing for the average person in Switzerland. So don't do that. Just spend the money. That's what states do. They spend money into existence. That's why you have a deficit in the first place. If there, does, if there was never a deficit, then we wouldn't have any money. It wouldn't exist. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think I'll wrap us up there, Tim. That has been brilliant, really detailed, really interesting. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. No, you're very welcome. And then like